Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 551. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have a great guest who's going to share her story of being an academic risk, according to some medical schools, or at least one medical school, to gaining an acceptance contingent on doing well in a free bridge program, a bridge program that was free of charge for this student, and ultimately gaining her acceptance. I'll tell you a little bit more in one second. Before we jump into that, though, I want to mention our sponsor, Blueprint MCAT, and the MCAT Minute, go to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their free account, get access to a free half-length diagnostic, a free full-length exam, free study planner tool, free flashcard uh, platform, spaced repetition uh, flashcard program with 1,600 plus ready-made flashcards for you already there and much more. Go check it out at blueprintmcat.com. As this episode is coming out, it is MCAT registration time. So make sure you are ready to go with your MCAT registration. The earlier you register, the more likely you are to get a seat where you need it most locally. So you don't have to travel and spend time in a hotel and all that extra expense and all that good stuff. But I wanna jump back into... Our guest today, who shares her story of applying to medical school with a lower GPA, a lower MCAT score, having done a master's program, although it was an MPH, and you'll hear us talk about why that maybe wasn't the best decision for her ability to apply to medical school, her being told that she's an academic risk by a medical school, but also finding a school that was a great fit, and that school having a special program for students like her. She completed the program and was given an acceptance to medical school, had to apply once and was done. Had to prove herself, definitely had to prove herself and did, and now is a medical student. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go ahead and say hello to Liz. Liz, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. When did you first realize that you wanted to be a doctor? Honestly, I realized when I was like five years old, I remember my first memory is my mom used to put me in front of the trauma life of the ER, which I don't think it comes <laughs> on TV anymore, but I used to- I know that show. Was like, it was a classic. Like now looking back, I'm like, it was really graphics. So I probably shouldn't be watching that at five, but since then I've been sold on medicine. What, what was it about that show? 
as a five-year-old. <laughs> it was just so interesting to see like the body and just how the, how doctors came in and people were coming in dire states and the doctors were able to come fix them and they were able to go on with their life. Granted, that's not how all the cases ended, but a lot yeah. of them, a lot of people ended up from going from almost like door on death's door to, you know, walking out the hospital in like a month. Yeah. Was that something that you could relate to in real life? Like seeing this thing on TV, like did you have family members that were in healthcare? What, how did you relate to that in real life? Cause a lot, I'm assuming a lot of five-year-olds are sitting there watching that going, well, that's TV. That's not real life. How, how did you relate to that? So as a kid, I had chronic asthma. So I was always in the mm. hospital in and out. So I've always had some level of comfort ability with just being in the hospital because I was always in the hospital. Yep. So like I always just wanted to know more and I always like to ask questions. So that show kind of related because I've been in the hospital. Granted, I've never been in like those kind of traumatic situations, yep. but I could still relate like just being in the hospital, seeing the doctors, seeing the sounds and it being yeah. boring. So that that's the key, right? Is, is not that you're a five-year-old placed in front of the TV watching this. It's that you were one of those patients that these doctors are taking care of. And you're like, oh, like, thankfully, obviously, again, five-year-old language, right? That, that you're not one of those people um, uh, in that sick of a, a state. But you had experience being taken care of by a physician so that you could relate to that in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. As someone who finds that path very early on, or at least has that idea, right, in, in, in your head that you want to be a doctor, how soon did you start, uh, the, the language that I use in my personal statement book is, is right, that's, that's your seed. Uh, mm-hmm. How soon did you start watering that seed, testing that hypothesis that you may want to, to be a doctor? Well, the good thing is that my parents were always really kind of supportive. Like I grew up, grew up in a single parent household, but um, my dad also helped. And so my mom, she would like enter me into these like um, pre-collegiate camps in the, in the summertime. And so I would go like learn sciences. And then my dad was able to pay for this pre-med camp. And um, I was able to kind of like, you know, learn how to intubate and learn how to do sutures on the pig foot like everybody <laughs> does. So like those experiences kind of confirmed, oh, this is like the path I want to go through. And then like my mom had some health issues. And so I kind of got to experience what it was like to be on the other side of medicine when it comes to like just being from underserved because she had like public insurance. Mm -hmm. And so she, I noticed that she got treated differently. And so that kind of bothered me. So instead of getting upset about it and kind of swearing off, I was just kind of in my mind, I was like, I just want to be a doctor who treats everybody um, with quality care, regardless of whether they can pay or what type of insurance they had. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit more. How did you know that she was being treated differently? So my mom, um, she had gone to the doctor and she kind of needed this procedure done, um, to get rid of precancerous cells, but the, um, door was kind of cracked open in the, um, on the um, exam room. And so we could overhear the doctor saying, oh, well, her insurance isn't going to cover it. So we probably won't do it. And mm. so because we heard that we were like, Oh, uh, we, we, we were grateful that we heard it. So then we went and tried to find somewhere else who could do it and they were able to, okay. but it kind of just like, it was surreal. Cause I was like, this is like pre yeah. cells and she's like my main caregiver. So if something happened to her, what's going to happen to me? And it kind of just like bothered me. Cause I was like, you're not going to treat her over something that could be serious. Because yeah. Of like insurance. So, so a little less, right. Uh, uh, 
bias or stigma of like, oh, you're you're a, a Medicaid patient and just yeah. a little bit more straightforward. Like we, we, we're not going to do it because they're not going to pay us for it yeah. uh, kind of situation. Okay. So that's a little bit better, but obviously that other, um, that other stuff happens as well, where there is a stigma towards patients, unfortunately on, uh, on public Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera, typically not Medicare because those are our elderly people. Although, yes. uh, there, there is Medicare for other, uh, other younger people as well. So you are going through this process. How old were you when that happened with your mom? I think I was a sophomore in high school, so I had okay. to be like 14, 15. Okay. So 14, 15, you're going to these kind of summer camp, medical camps. Uh, how useful do you think, like looking back now that you're in medical school, how useful do you think that was as confirmation that this is what you wanted to do versus it was just something fun to do? I think it was good confirmation because I was around, put around other people who or also my age who want to go into medicine. So it was also nice to kind of be around people who were like my age and wanted to do the same thing. But it was also nice because at the time before, you know, COVID, we had met Dr. Fauci. So it was really oh, nice. nice to meet him. And like we were hearing from doc from students, like what's it like to be in medical school? And then I, at that point, I could like I could see myself going down that path. And then it was also really nice to see like there was a lot of brown students like me who, you know, wanted to do the same thing. So it kind of felt like, oh, I have a place in medicine. Because a lot of times I didn't really see a lot of doctors who look like me. So it kind of like, yeah. oh, do I really belong? So that was one of the yeah. things that, you know, I thought it was nice. Were those programs specifically for minority under underrepresented students or no? Actually, it wasn't. It, yeah, okay. they weren't geared towards uh, minority underserved. Okay, interesting. I didn't start getting into that until college. Okay, and and so you go through those programs. You're in high school. The stuff's going on with your mom. You're just kind of reconfirming all along the way. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. So you you end up in college. As you're doing your college search, how much of that search was kind of contingent on? Are you a good quote unquote pre med program? Honestly, I think my biggest thing was is that during high uh, during high school we had like a talk with different colleges and it talked and I read something that said that people who go to all female colleges are a lot a lot more successful. So something dinged in my mind and I was just like, "Oh, I'm going to go to all female college." So that was my biggest thing. As long as I had a science department, okay. I could get my my prereqs done. So I was like, that was my focus. I'm going to go to an all female university. And it nice. was kind of a, like a swim, but I was really glad I made that decision. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles. Nice. Very cool. Um, so you go to a school. Uh, I'm assuming it's a liberal arts school, but at least had a, a science uh, program for you. Yes. Going to a liberal arts school that happens to have a science department, right? Uh, did you feel like your pre-med path was hindered at all by that? Honestly, I think it was a little difficult to get resources. Like we didn't really tr have the traditional pre-med clubs and whatnot, but I think we really leaned into mentorship with our upperclassmen. So a lot of times they would tell us, oh, you should join this program. And one of them had told me you should join me mentor. And I was like, well, I'm not Hispanic, but they're like, it doesn't matter. As <laughs> yeah. long as you're underserved, you could do it. And so that's what I ended up joining. And like they gave you resources. So you kind of had to seek it out, but they were, my school was really open to helping you find resources or connect you with people who can help you find res those resources you need. Yeah, that's awesome. The The other thing outside of like clubs and a lot of times other pre-med students uh, 
is finding clinical experience, finding shadowing, finding science research or, or any kind of research that, that you feel is, is valuable for you and your application and everything later on. How, how did you find those things going to a, a liberal arts school that may not typically have access to, to those types of things or at least have the, the same types of networks that other schools may have? Well, I was lucky enough to be at a university where our science department was, it was small, but we had professors doing research. So as long as nice. we kind of showed interest that we wanted to do research, we were able to like jump in our first year. Mm-hmm. So I was doing organic chemistry research and we were like, you we were like uh, interpreting. And then after your first year, you could go present at conferences. So being at a small university, gave, it was actually an advantage because I didn't have to compete with a bunch of people to get into research. And then um, on top of that, the professors and PIs were very supportive. Mm-hmm. When it came to clinical re- clinical kind of uh, experiences, mm-hmm. because of the simple fact that I was working and I was doing so much, I didn't really focus on that until after because I had known by like my junior year that I was not going to go straight through. So I was like, okay, let me just do what I can right now. And so I just kind of focused on the research. Yeah. And then at my university, we had this unique program where it was the joint, um, it was an interdisciplinary research project where you got to work with the political science department and the physical science, which was good because that was my minor, which was political science. Mm-hmm. And we were able to, they funded us and we were able to do research in uh, Peru and get data and create a survey. And then we would bring it back to Los Angeles and we could create our research project. And that's what I ended up doing was creating a research project from that. Got it. All right. So part of this reason uh, of you spacing things out, right? You said you knew you weren't going to go straight through graduate college, immediately start med school, and and you were going to take some gap is because you had a lot on your plate as a a pre-med student, as a college student. What do you think was the hardest thing for you when it came to being a pre-med student? I think it was finances because when I went into college, I didn't have financial that much financial support from home. So I kind of already knew going in, I was going to have to work. So it was just really hard for pre-med because it's like, I need to do my pre-med classes. I need to do well, but financial aid only lasts four years and I need to pay for my school. So then I ended up having to work like full time. At one point I became an RA. And then during my senior year, something happened with my financial aid where a family member ended up spending it all. Mm. So then I had to work extra hours to cover the um, missing financial aid just so that I could graduate in four years. And in hindsight, you know, it probably would have been better to take a break, but it was kind of like get my degree and deal with the lower GPA or take a pause, but then try to figure out how I'm going to cover the rest of my school because of um, financial aid ran out after four years. Yeah. So you had, you were kind of put in a position where to, to survive, right? To, to keep a roof over your head, food on the table, pay for tuition, all that kind of stuff you were forced to work, which took away, right? It was a distraction yeah. for your schoolwork. Talk about the the fact that you, it seems like you did a lot of research. In your mind, when you're kind of weighing everything that you're doing, right? Obviously work had to be done. School had to be done. And with whatever little free time you had, why research versus becoming a scribe or an EMT or or, chat or whatever else kind of clinical stuff? What what was it about research that that led you go that path? I think for me it was research because I knew that for doing clinical work, I since I knew I wasn't going to go straight through, I could probably figure that out after I graduated. But research was was going to be a harder thing to get involved with. 
after I graduated. So I kind of focused in on research during um, undergrad because I knew that I had easy access to that. Mm-hmm. And I figured clinical re- clinical experience was something that I could kind of find later on. Okay. So you could find later on, uh, and, and as you mentioned, right, easier access. So uh, yeah. just convenience is, is always a big part of this yeah. uh, factor. You're, you're going through school. Your GPA is not great. What did you graduate with? So I graduated with a science GPA of like a 2.7, and then my okay. undergrad total was like a 3.1. Okay. A lot of people, they'll graduate with a 2.7, 3.1, whatever, and, and they're either told or they feel like their dream of becoming a physician is over, that, that they hit a roadblock, I'm not smart enough to do this, whatever, whatever self-doubt creeps into their mind. Did you have any of that? No, I was, I knew that I had what it took. I love it. You're like, no, <laughs> ignore the doubters. <laughs> I was like, kind of like, I knew what I had to take to become, a, I knew like I could be a good doctor. And I knew that I, like, that was something I still wanted to pursue. I did know that with my grades and what happened during my undergrad would make it significantly more difficult. So my mindset was kind of like, what am I going to do to kind of buffer the grades to still make me a decent applicant because in my mind there was I was never going to not apply to medical school so it was just kind of like what do I need to do to kind of help bridge what I what happened during undergrad and still kind of give me a chance got it Uh, I'm wondering potentially like does going again to a smaller liberal arts school that doesn't have the traditional pre-health office I wonder if that helped in that situation where you didn't have someone who is looking at your grades and talking to you going, hey, Liz, there's, there's no shot here, right? You, you blew it with your OCHEM grade or whatever it is. Do, do you think potentially going to a school that doesn't have a traditional pre-med path and maybe doesn't have as many pre-meds as other campuses, do you think that maybe helped shield you from some of that negativity? Yeah, because my school is all about female empowerment. Like our our the, the motto is unstoppable. So what like Love when it. you see in Michigan, when you see MSU, uh, MSMU, you see unstoppable. And so with my professors, they I because I'm very transparent about what was going on. So they already knew kind of the things I was going through. So they all just really encouraged me, and they were kind of like, you know, you might need to do some extra things. And so that's why I ended up deciding to do a master's degree because a I didn't have the financial aid to do a post back. And B, the master's degree was something that I felt like would help me and kind of like help show that I could perform well at a graduate level. But my um, my undergrad, my um, science department, they were super supportive. They're like, whatever letters of recommendation you need, just let us know. And they wrote me amazing letters of recommendation. Yeah. How did you find information that you needed in terms of like what you needed to do to go to medical school because that that typically is a big hindrance for people who don't come from families who have physicians and aren't at a big uh, a big school that has all of that typical support not not that students use it all the time but uh, at least access to that support where were you finding information on classes to take and this little thing called the MCAT and, and stuff like that well, I, I feel like I'm one of those people who is a little bit OCD, so I kind of like hyper-focus on things. So then I was hyper-focusing on medical school, so I looked at all the things. So some of it was just my outside research. But then the good thing about my university is that a lot of times alumni would come back 
and they would tell us about like what they needed to, what, like, how they got to the, where they did. And I had a alumni and her name was uh, Jen Perdoma, who's a doctor right now. And so she went to USC and she came back to talk to us about just her path and going to medical school. And that's where I learned from her, like what to do for the MCAT, how long to study, like maybe I shouldn't take, go straight through out of undergrad. And then she kind of let me know, like she gave me resources like Me Mentor, where mm-hmm. I should apply and I could join their medical school readiness program. And it spent an entire year just prepping students just to apply to medical school. So I think just mentorship there was really crucial for me to be able to know like what I should and should not do. Yeah. So you graduate school. Again, you said two seven science GPA, three one kind of overall. You've mentioned finances. One of the biggest struggles that students have who need to do some sort of grade repair is uh, the, the struggle is, do I do a post back program, which typically you can't get financial aid for, or do I do, I do a master's program, which the government's like, sure, you're advancing your career. <laughs> um, uh, little do they know that you're doing it to get into med school, which is advancing your career, but uh, using that master's as a stepping stone. I, I'm assuming you had kind of that similar kind of research and thought process of like, well, I really can't do a quote unquote undergrad post back. So I'm just going to go do a master's. Is that kind of your thought process there? Yeah. And I even know that the master's degree I did probably didn't help me as much to get into medical school because I decided to do a master's in public health because I was really interested in social determinants. Yeah. (laughs) So like it helps you for being a doctor, but it doesn't necessarily help you to get into medical school, but it also kind of like, it doesn't help. It doesn't help prove academic ability with the hard sciences. That's the issue. Exactly. And so like, I think my biggest thing about it was that I wanted to get a degree in something I was interested in and I felt like would help me in the long run. But then also getting the master's degree allowed me to stay in Los Angeles because I was originally from Oklahoma. But I knew that if I went back a lot of things, like there wasn't really a lot of resources. So doing the master's degree there, I knew that like, A, my grades for a master's in science probably would have been hard to get into. But because of my um, minor, I did really good in that. Then I knew that I could get in with that for my um, public health. So that's kind of the route I went. And some of it was kind of just out of necessity and just living, just being able to like stay in a place because I'm living off of financial aid. Yeah. All right. So you get your MPH, which again, I, I don't recommend uh, to almost anyone, Yeah. except if you're really interested in, in the public health world and you want to incorporate yeah. that into your career. But for grade repair, I highly, highly recommend students look elsewhere. Yeah. So it something obviously worked for you. You're in med school now. How much as as you went through the application process? Let's let's talk kind of nuts and bolts of the application process for you. How many times did you need to apply to school? I only applied once. One and done. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, so one and done. How do you think? your application uh, what what helped in your application for at least one school to overcome a lower science gpa this master's program that doesn't typically prove academic ability with hard sciences and then uh with a lower mcat score as well sub 500 mcat score which we talked about before recording yeah so i think it was honestly kind of like a, a happenance because mm-hmm. I had decided because I needed clinical experience. So I volunteered at the Los Angeles General Hospital. And so as a volunteer, I had volunteered to help the new residents 
um, do ultrasounds. And as I was talking to one of the residents, they had said, oh, I, like, I came from Michigan State and they're really holistic, so you should just give it a, give it a shot. So then I was like, okay. So, and I looked into <laughs> it and then I was kind of very strategic when it came to applying to medical school because I looked for schools that were holistic, schools that um, did not screen. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of worked from there. And so whatever schools didn't screen automatically, I kind of just applied to those. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to Michigan State, I think what really helped me is that because I knew that my grades were not that great, I kind of like leaned into my, um, my desire to serve underserved communities. And I kind of really highlighted that. And I think I really matched their mission statement. And I was kind of surprised I even got an interview because I had faced a lot of rejection by that point. So when I got an interview, I had like double take and I was like, wait, are you sure? So then <laughs> I think that helped me. And I ended up for that cycle, I ended up getting two interviews, okay. one from um, a DO program and then one from the MD program. So I, it was a lot more successful than I had thought because I had had a meeting with a, a mission counselor at another medical school and they called me an academic risk. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you call me what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, fair, but I was like, yeah. it is what it is. So I was like, it I'm is. Gonna yeah. And, and you know what? I actually love that school for, for calling it out. Right. And, and just being completely honest. I think there are too many schools and we are for better or worse in a world where I think we coddle feelings maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you have a chance. We'll look at you holistically, right? A lot of schools yeah. that say that are are behind the scenes going, ain't no, ain't no way, right? Um, exactly, exactly. I would much rather just tell me like, you're an academic risk. Great. Now I know um, for your school and maybe for all schools, things that I need to work on. And and obviously you're no dum-dum. You, you knew that you were an academic yeah. risk to some extent. Absolutely. And that's always the struggle here, right? And when I when I talk about, I've been saying this for a while and students don't really like when I say it, especially on Reddit and Student Doctor Network, where, where I say you have to be good enough, right? Your grades have yeah. to be good enough. Your MCAT score has exactly. to be good enough. Well, what does that mean? I, I don't know. It means something different to every school, right? And and obviously with, with you at Michigan State now, your good enough was good enough for them. Right. So yeah. they obviously have some sort of information, some sort some set of data for students that have gone through their program, gone through their curriculum that says, we're not worried about your grades. You are, quote, good enough, because I, I think a lot of people and I'll call a spade a spade. Right. A lot of people listening can't see the color of your skin. People watching will see yeah. the color of your skin and they'll assume, oh, you got in because you're brown, you're black, whatever. Yeah. Right. But that's not true because Michigan State's not just going to give you a seat for that reason, right? They need to make sure you're going to pass med school, right? Exactly. And I think a lot of that goes out the window. They're like, oh, this is affirmative action, whatever, right? And and I'm a huge believer in, uh, of affirmative action. I'm a huge believer in in needing diversity in our workforce and in, in physicians and all that stuff. And And still your grades were good enough for Michigan State. Your MCAT score, even though sub 500, was good enough for Michigan State. So I, I just want to put that out there for any people listening or watching going, oh, I know why she got in, right? No, right? It was good enough. You worked your butt off and with everything in your way, right? With needing to work full-time, with needing to, to do more because your family spent your tuition money, your financial aid, right? All of that paints this picture of someone with perseverance, with with dedication to this journey. 
in Michigan State and this other school that that gave you an interview saw that. And that's, I think, a frustrating part of this this journey is not every school is going to see that. And that's okay, yeah. right? That's that's okay. Um, but you, as you mentioned, right, Michigan State, there was, there was some bigger fit there than just, are my grades good enough? Which is why I tell students all the time, you can't just look at stats. And I, I don't think you should look at stats to apply to school. So anyway, uh, a long, a long-winded thing to <laughs> to just did. put that out there. Like, it's it was good enough, right? Um, and I think there's lots of self doubt out there of students with their grades and and everything. And I think your grades do have to be good enough, right? They have yeah. to be to a certain extent. Whether you you're starting off with a two point seven undergraduate GPA, showing some sort of upward trend to show you are academically able to do well in in hard classes. Now, again, you went at it a little non-traditional way with your MPH, <laughs> um, but it worked, right? It worked for you in this one instance. Uh, again, I wouldn't recommend that for for anyone else, but again, yeah. it, it worked for you. So you had your two interviews. You get your one acceptance or at least one acceptance, right? Um, what was it like on on? Uh, a day, <laughs> acceptance day. Well, I would like to put in, so I would like to, okay, so when it came to my Michigan State interview, because yeah. I did something, like Michigan State has a very unique program that I did not know when I was applying. Okay. And so when I applied, I got an interview. And so once I did my interview, I think a couple weeks later, I had gotten referred to their ABLE program. And I was like, what is this? Because there's not mm. a lot of information online. Yep. And so I got into the program. And apparent, and it's a advanced baccalaureate learning um, yeah. experience. So I did a. They just require you to do a year. You meet the GPA requirement, and you don't have Got to get that again. And so then you automatically matriculate into the following uh, medical. Got school class. it. All right. So when I applied, I had no idea. And so how the able staff explained it to me was is that they do not. You can't apply for the program. You have to apply for the MD. Yep. And the admission committee, a committee that gives you an interview is not the same as the one that um, decides whether you get into ABLE. Yep. And they were like, the admission committee feels like you would be in a great fit. You just need a little more resources. And that's why you got referred to us. So that's what I ended up doing was that program. It. And, it, and it was kind of an interesting thing because I did not know it existed. Yeah. So then I was just like, at first I was on the fence, but yeah. then they provided a lot of support. It's an SMP program, to, basically. Yeah, built into the the school. Got it. Okay, so I I jumped a little bit ahead. Um, so I was but, like, I was like, I still got accepted, but it was like <laughs> later on. So I was like, I'm yeah, like, like to be truly transparent, like I did love the it. Thank you for SMP that. SMP program. Yeah. So so it's it's kind of a hidden SMP program, which isn't too uncommon. A, a lot of the programs out there uh, are are direct apply, um, but it is very common. For some schools that that have these these kind of linkage programs directly at their school to say, we really like you, and quoting the other school, you're an academic risk. Let's just prove, right? Let's let's baby step. <laughs> let's put our toes in the water with this one year yeah. program. If you do well, you do well, uh, and and welcome aboard, right? You're you're part of our team. So you you do that able program. It's it's in person. It's on campus. You're doing everything. Uh, yes. like a normal student is it, are you integrated into the med with the med students or was it separate it's separate so okay. like we so it's more traditionally a post back but they have so you take physiology neurobiology neuroscience yep. and anatomy and then uh biochem and yeah. histology and so some of the classes are exclusively for the able program 
And so they have professors that are in the medical school and the osteopathic school. So like yeah. our an anatomy class was essentially a medical school anatomy class in like, yeah. a, in like a semester. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it worked out. And then like they kind of integrate you like towards the end, like they invite you to advance and whatnot. But for the most part, it's kind of able to its own little separate area. Like everybody assumes you're probably going to make it through because they do it. They have a really good um, track record. Yeah. But they're still kind of just like, you got to make sure you meet your GPA before we like start any other process. <laughs> yeah. And and did they have like crazy high GPA requirements? What what did you need to maintain? For my year, I just needed to ma maintain a 3.2 GPA okay. um, for the That's school super. year. That's super, I think, reasonable. Yeah, and then we just had to maintain professionalism, like attend the classes, yeah. and then they provide you academic support. And during the ABLE program, I discovered that I had ADHD, and hence the reason why it made it very difficult for me <laughs> to excel in academics. Yeah, besides the all the work and all that other stuff. Exactly, and I was like, they're like, oh, you didn't know that before? I was like, well, I just thought I couldn't pay attention. <laughs> I had a lot of things going on my back plate, but I didn't realize that that was also another caveat to it. So yeah. it was also nice and blessing because they were able to help me find tools so that moving into medical school, I wasn't like a fish out of water. Yeah. How did you finally find success there, right? 3.2, I think super reasonable. There are programs out there that are like, hey, for linkage, you need a 3.7, which I think is completely unreasonable for like med school level classes. Like that's an A minus. You, you want me to get an A minus yeah. in med school when I could barely get a B in undergrad? And and so 3.2 is, is just below a, a B plus in the AMCAS world. So I think completely reasonable, which is awesome. How how did you finally find academic success with those harder uh, science courses? I think what helped is that the ABLE program, they provide you um, like your mentors, which are your teaching assistants, are students who are currently medical students who did the ABLE program themselves. Nice. So they can give us experience. They kind of help us out. And the program provided a lot and a lot of support. So if you were struggling in anatomy, then they would be like, okay, we'll arrange, we'll pay for the TA to have time with you in the anatomy wow. lab to do one-on-one -on -one so that you guys can learn anatomy. And so it was kind of, I would like to say it's kind of difficult to fail just because they just provide so much support. Like they, ha you have to sign this contract saying that you give access to them to the grades. So they're always on top of you. And so like, if you don't score that well, you'll get it. You'll get an email. <laughs> about, They'll know. Going on? Yeah. It's like they kind of force you with accountability. It's like, why they you want well? you to succeed. Exactly. It's not one of those programs. It's kind of like, okay, here's a resource. <laughs> Thank you, you for your money. You don't, you don't. <laughs> exactly. Like this one was kind of like, we want you, like if we, if we have you here and one of yeah. the people that I was talking to when I was thinking about doing the um, ABLE program had told me, essentially this, um, this, this white coat is yours. You just need to make requirements. Like, Do they it, put it in the front like, of the room so you always see it? <laughs> yeah. it? It was kind of like a reminder, like, this is your opportunity to lose, in fact, yeah. because how the ABLE program is built in and the, I guess the College of Human Medicine is that there's always guaranteed spots for ABLE students. Yeah. So for the most part, as long as you meet your requirements, you'll make it in. And so it was a constant reminder that you can do this. We yeah. will provide support. You need to reach out and help. And that's kind of what I did was I was always I constantly working with the academic coach that they provided for us. I love it. And, and I think that works with human psychology. Human psychology is we are afraid to lose something we already have. And so if they're reminding you, right, 
this white coat is yours. I I have this. I'm in this program. Yes, it's an extra year before med school starts, but I'm in. Uh, human psychology is like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep this. So uh, I think yes. that's, that's awesome. How big is that uh, program, the ABLE program? So I believe they have the option to have up to 12 students. I think it just depends okay, on the so year. Small. And yeah, it's a, it's a small and a very intimate program. Like, you know, you're with the same people all the time. That's fantastic. Awesome. So you obviously met your, your minimum requirements. You got into med school. What was that transition like between the ABLE program and the, the, the big boy med school program? Like <laughs> big, big differences there, big change? I think it was not as bad. It was like changes in the sense of like, because Michigan State's curriculum is how it is. It's more yeah. kind of like you need to be more accountable. But I think what helped with the ABLE program is that we were like, so towards the end, they were giving us um, meetings about how to prepare for pharmacology. What's the curriculum look like? So before we had even like started orientation, we already had an idea of what was going to be expected of us and what classes that we need to do and like the study tools. And then having the TAs, they were constantly telling us what it was like to be in their M1 year. So we kind of had an idea of what we were walking into. And then because we took medical school anatomy going into medical school, the anatomy wasn't, uh, it's still difficult, but it wasn't as bad for us because We've already looked at these bodies. We've already done these um, units. So it was helpful in the sense that, you know, we've already done this before. So it was kind of nice. And it kind of gives you a boost that like, oh, wow, I can do this. I yeah. am smart. And after you do the ABLE program, you think about it, you're like, yeah, I needed this program because if I had gone straight through, I probably would have struggled. Yeah. I, I've heard from students at other similar programs that sometimes there is some stigma associated with being one of the able students when you kind of integrate into the regular med school class, everyone comes together. Is there that sort of stigma in in that community or every, everyone accepts everyone and no matter how you got there, you got there and you're one of us now? I think it's quite the opposite. I think people are really just like, oh, you're an able student. So you really know this. Like <laughs> I, you know, in my, we have like small groups. So when I would go into anatomy lab, they'd be like, oh no, you guys can't take Liz. Like, how are we supposed to know how to do this lab? And so then like the professors know about ABLE. And so they're like, oh, you're an ABLE student? Okay, so you know this. So it's just kind of like, it's kind of nice. It's kind of like, oh, people just automatically assume, oh, so you already know this stuff. And like, believe, like, and they kind of like, it's the the thought that like, you know, we're smart, we know what we're doing. And the attitude is like, you made it into medical school. We really don't care how you made it. Like you're our classmates. So we don't care what your grades were. Love it, love it, love that attitude. What's the hardest thing about med school so far? I think the hardest thing about med school is the simple fact that like, there's just so much being thrown at you. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, oh, I need to do pharmacology, but then I also need to know how to like integrate all this information. And do I do Anki? Do I not do Anki? Do I do Amboss? Like there's so many different resources getting thrown at you. And it's just hard to know how to be successful. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like when you're in medical school, it's kind of like the, the rat race begins again, because when you're in college, you're worried about getting into medical school. But now when you're in medical school, you're worried about matching and getting into residency. It's, so you're like, I, I call it pre-med 2.0. It's, it's all the same stuff. <laughs> it really is. And then the stat, and like the thing I didn't realize is that when you're in medical school, you're considered an undergrad again. Yeah, because, you're undergraduate medical education. Yeah. So you're kind of just starting the it's hustle the again. And I think yep. it's just like really hard <laughs> to just go through like and constantly always be on like 10. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I don't think a lot of students realize that med school is, is considered UME, undergraduate yes. medical education versus GME, graduate medical education, which is internship and residency stuff. So 
Wow, Liz, you have come a long way. You have persevered. You have overcome. Uh, what's what's next for you? Where where do you see your life in five, ten, fifteen years? Well, I'm thinking surgical, maybe okay. neurosurgical. So I'm really kind of working on, you know, doing research and then doing well in my classes. And I'm honestly really trying to be an advocate, especially for people who have lower grades and who feel like, you know. Oh, because I'm a low grade, I can't make it because I would like to say, you know, granted, I wouldn't apply with the grades that I had. And if you could possibly have a higher GPA or MCAT, I always encourage that. I'm like, I just because I did it. Not <laughs> Don't do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not the example. Yep. But I always kind of like want to encourage people to just kind of be like, you know, you have to be your own self-advocate. And even if like Michigan State didn't work out, I was still prepared to do what I needed to do to apply again. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like, I, I think in the next couple of years, I really just want to keep on encouraging people to, you know, go for becoming a doctor, even if, you know, you didn't have a quote unquote traditional, you know, undergraduate path or whatnot, there's still a place for you. There's still a school that does appreciate what you can bring. You just need to follow it. And at the end of the day, the worst thing that a medical school could tell you is no, because you're already not in medical school anyway. So you might as well just apply. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Liz talking about her journey to medical school as a, quote, academic risk, according to one medical school, to eventually proving herself. This is where I talk about all the time, right? It, it's going to depend on the school that you're applying to, what their risk tolerance is for specific students. And this school that she applied to happened to have a program for students specifically for her, just like her who needed a little bit more to prove herself. And she did. She proved herself, and now she's in med school. And I'm sure that that school has data that shows that students like Liz do just fine in the long run. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it gives you some encouragement, some motivation that you too can do this. Don't forget to check out our friends over at blueprintmcat.com, our sponsors for our episode today. Again, blueprintmcat.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.